from BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast, is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Zumo Play is your destination for endless entertainment. With a diverse lineup of 350-plus live channels, movies, and full TV series, you'll easily find something to watch right away. And the best part? It's all free. Love music? Get lost in the 90s with iHeart 90s. Dance away with hip-hop beats and more on the iHeart Radio music channels. No logins, no signups, no accounts, no hassle. So what are you waiting for? Start streaming at play.xumo.com or download from the app and Google Play stores today. All you can stream with Zumo Play. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. Countdown with Keith Olbermann is a production of iHeartRadio. Gag order is great, but the real story out of Judge Tanya Chutkin's Trump courtroom is she will not postpone the trial date. It will not slide until after the election. It will begin on March 4th and not the crack Trump legal team's demand that it be delayed until the 12th of never. And apart from the obvious meaning, there is also a subtle one, and it pertains to the gag order. Quote, this trial will not yield to the election cycle and we will not revisit the trial date. Remember, Judge Chutkin had previously said that her preferred way to punish Trump for his violations of the terms of his release and other, you know, laws would be to start the trial sooner. And while she did not explicitly say there is no chance he might yet force her to do that, the statement yesterday, we will not revisit the trial date, seems surprisingly explicit because it implies that if he breaks the gag order, who am I kidding? He may have broken the gag order yesterday. When he breaks the gag order, she will punish him in some other way. She referred in court yesterday to sanctions, and there's not a lot of sanctions on the table, but advancing the trial start was the simplest of them. And if it is off the table, we are looking at financial penalties or... Well, you can't send one of his attorneys to the penalty box and make them defend shorthanded. What's left is declaring he has violated the terms of his release and revoking his bail and incarcerating him until the trial or at least over a weekend. That is not a step to be taken lightly. But when Trump violates the gag order for the fifth time or the 10th time, or the 50th time, what other option will she have? Send the Secret Service home, send in the marshals, frog march the bastard. What odds can I get that he resists arrest? Come on. Come on. You know you want to resist, Donnie. Come on. Exactly what 
Judge Chutkin plans to do, or in the near term, exactly what she plans to threaten him with, is as important as the fact of the gag order itself. Given the judge's expressiveness during the gag hearing yesterday, and when the judge laughs at your attorneys twice, it is not going well for you, there is something portentous in her unwillingness to state the penalties she has in mind. Politico phrased it, quote, she did not elaborate on those sanctions, although she said she planned to issue a written order with further details, unquote. I'm not confident, she had said before issuing the gag order, that without some sort of restriction, we'll be in here all the time. After all, as soon as she gagged him, he did say this. I am willing to go to jail if that's what it takes for our country to win and become a democracy again. You, sir, have a deal. As an aside, each time this happens, that he says one thing that he thinks wins his argument for him when it is in fact a confession to his crimes, or as in this case, a confession to the seriousness of his endless, traitorous conduct towards this country, I wonder how many arguments were made, not by Nazi propagandists, but by ordinary non-genocidal conservatives or political moderates in Germany in 1930 and 1931 and 1932 and the first month of 1933, arguments that their Trump was not threatening freedom, he was saving it, that he wasn't risking their lives, he was risking his. Every time I hear Trump say something like that, his belief that he's talking about the trial of the century as opposed to having his bail revoked after his 227th reference to a certain unnamed deranged prosecutor, every time I hear him talk like that, I think of them, and I wonder which special place in hell they went to. Anyway, you're willing to go to jail? Good. Let's see that rubber hit that road whenever Chutkin issues her written order with further details, because not three hours after she coshed him in the head with the gag order, he began feeling around to see exactly where the line is. A judge uh, gave a gag order today. Did you hear that on speech? Which I believe is totally unconstitutional what she did. A judge gave a gag order. A judge doesn't like me too much. Her whole life is not liking me. In the preliminary version of the gag order as released yesterday, the judge told Trump he had free reign about Biden and about insulting Washington, but to keep his mouth shut about witnesses and the prosecutors in the case and echoing his attempt to dox an irrelevant court clerk in the New York fraud case because she had once taken a selfie with Chuck Schumer, court staff members. She did not include herself on the initial list of the inviolables. Once again, the promised written order will tell us, and more importantly, will tell Trump. The written order will also tell us about how far Trump can get away with the standard Trump trick. I didn't say it. I just repeated it. Retweets do not equal endorsements. Within literally minutes of the imposition of the order, one of Trump's many Renfields... The former Chuck Grassley staffer, Mike Davis, referred to the order as something that, quote, happens in third world Marxist hellholes. But even this scum Davis stopped at unconstitutional and erroneous. And later, Marjorie Taylor Greene paraded her own stupidity by complaining that the judge let the media attend. And then Junior issued a video using all the buzzwords 
but in another reminder of the blessing of his impaired stupidity, he referred to the means justifying the ends. And we can rest, I think, assured that whatever quality it is that attracts the stupid and the hateful to Trump, it ain't hereditary. So some reposts will be okay, and we'll see what the judge says about attacking the judge. But Chutkin has already told him about the witnesses and Jack Smith and Jack Smith's aides and court staff. And in court, the judge took Trump's comments about Mark Milley and juxtaposed them with the prospect of Bill Barr as a witness. What, she asked Trump's most self-demeaning lawyer yet, John Lauro, what if Trump said Barr should be executed for treason or said he should keep his mouth shut or just threatened his future in a future Trump presidency? And by the way, I'm thinking that ship has sailed. Lauro, incredibly, said all that would be protected by the First Amendment. And I'd like to see him say that if I said all that about Trump. Chutkin went appropriately nuts. Quote, because he's running for president, he gets to make threats? Mr. Trump is a criminal defendant. He is facing four felony charges. He is under the supervision of the criminal justice system. He does not have the right to say and do exactly as he pleases. No other criminal defendant would be allowed to do so, and I am not going to permit it in this case. Exactly. It was like that all day. The judge does not like that attorney, and that attorney does not like the judge. Happily, only the first thing in that sentence counts. Trump's ambulance chaser actually said his client would be more limited in his speech than Hunter Biden is, and that therefore George Orwell would have a field day, and Chutkin responded that Hunter Biden is not a party to the case, and she says, yeah, George Orwell would have a field day. And any rational attorney with a rational client who heard that would camp out outside the prosecutor's office asking about a plea deal. Sadly, we are not at that point, are we? Trump says they're going to appeal and it's unconstitutional and given that there have already been threats of violence against Smith and members of his staff and threats against the judge in New York and threats against his staff and there's already one gag order against him in the fraud case plus a partial gag order relating to classified material in the Florida case, there is no expectation that his appeal will get anywhere. And so the clock is ticking to the revocation of Trump's bail. Popcorn futures have shot through the roof in early trading on the Hang Seng. For his part, after the first test of that rhetorical question, when you say lethal weapon, does this count? Trump then swerved off and instead went on an orgy of 30 or more masturbatory posts about his great polls and all his endorsements, and I swear to God it was interrupted only by ads for a 96-million-volt self-defense stun gun and the Black Widow switchblade knife and Tom Fitton's GoFundMe for shirts that would actually fit him. And all of this overshadowed a bombshell in the New York courtroom where the civil fraud trial continues, even without Trump or Michael Cohen being there. Patrick Bernie is Trump's assistant vice president in charge of, I don't know, greed? Anyway, he's a vice president. Prosecutor brought up the convicted ex-Trump financial boss, Alan Weisselberg. Did he, Mr. Bernie, quote, ever tell you that Donald Trump wanted his net worth on his statement of financial condition to go up? Mr. Bernie answered, yes. 
and that would be your motive and your foreknowledge of fraud, although you're probably going to want something more tangible than a one-word answer. And speaking of corrupt businesses, before we move on to why NBC News and MSNBC should be dissolved today, a little further afield, we have Trump with one of the great Freudian slips of all time, even for him. What was that Pizzagate thing about liberals eating babies? But remember, Republicans eat their young. They really do. They eat their young. Terrible statement, but it's true. I'll have extra adrenochrome on that, please. Okay, that settles that. The amazing thing about that video from which that clip was taken, well, the other amazing thing, is the realization that Trump's video people actually posted that. And therefore, there is no other possible conclusion but that that was the best take. I've got nothing on Israel or the Jim Jordan speaker's vote that is insightful or either relevant or true, except that Biden is going to Israel. And Jordan was, of course, Trump's wingman inside the House in the attempt to overthrow the duly elected incoming government of the United States. And he covered up the rape of scholastic wrestlers. And thus, he is not only a fitting successor to the Dennis Hastert Memorial Sexual Molestation Speaker's Chair, but he is, in fact, your average Republican congressman. And all the intrigue about a Sean Hannity producer sending out threatening emails to those holding out their votes from Jordan was erased last night when Hannity went on his little fascist fest on TV and first he tried to pretend he wasn't acting as a kingmaker by saying he was just doing the job of an investigative reporter. And then he went on and gave the House members instructions on TV about what they could do and what they couldn't do. And he called those who revealed his pressure campaign, quote, snowflakes. The funniest thing about that was the observation by somebody that Hannity has been acting as Jim Jordan's whip. In point of fact, it will, or it would be, Jim Jordan acting as Hannity's speaker. The most insightful thing about this was from Council on Foreign Relations senior fellow Laurie Garrett, who said that Hannity's actions were open and shut proof that Fox's news credentials must be polled by the Congressional and White House Correspondents Associations because neither group gives credentials to lobbyists. Which leaves us at NBC. Remember I told you after Kristen Welker's debut on Meet the Press that there was an internal investigation there as to whether the decision to not offer any real-time fact-checking of Trump's lies but limit that to a couple of 10-second asides and a mediocre online effort, that that was part of some sort of quid pro quo to get Trump to do the interview, or maybe even part of a deal to get NBC the rights to host a Republican presidential debate? NBC News has now gotten the third Republican presidential debate in Miami next month. And it's actually worse than even I thought. Calculating that they should make nice with the Republican Party so that if we go fully fascist, the Republicans will let NBC stay in business and not, I don't know, arrest everybody who owns Comcast is a choice. But the price of that choice was way higher than even I expected. The NBC press release 
about this sellout carrying the third Republican presidential debate on NBC, mind you, not on cable. The press release over the signature of the vice president of communications for NBC News reads that while NBC will produce the debate, it will not be alone. There will be, quote, debate partners, Salem Radio Network and the Republican Jewish Coalition, as well as RNC streaming partner Rumble to live stream the debate. NBC News is in bed with Rumble and Salem Radio. And the bed is in a whorehouse. Rumble is the place Nick Fuentes live streamed reaction to the first GOP debate. It's the place Andrew Tate claims to have a $9 million deal. NBC News on Rumble. Ah, but Salem Radio is much cleaner than that, much better. It's only the home of Jenna Ellis and Dinesh D'Souza and Charlie Kirk. Charlie Kirk, who in July called for President Biden to be, quote, put in prison and or given the death penalty for crimes against America. NBC's new partners, Charlie Kirk and Rumble and Salem Radio. And now from Miami, here are your moderators for this Republican presidential debate, Lester Holt, Kristen Welker, Andrew Tate, Nick Fuentes, and Charlie Kirk. But don't worry, in reality, it will not be that bad. CNN's impeccable media reporter Oliver Darcy reports that Charlie Kirk will not be on stage with his new NBC partners. It'll only be Salem Radio's Hugh Hewitt. We were so poor growing up, we could only afford two syllables. Look, I first went to work for NBC News 26 years ago this month, and one of the first things I noticed that never changed was the stunning lack of ethics or even awareness that there were journalistic standards or or personal integrity in management there. I mean, I worked for Andy Lack I almost worked for him twice. I worked with Joe Scarborough. I worked for a guy who suspended me for violating NBC News employee rules and made a big announcement smearing me, even though they wrote my contract to specifically say I was not an NBC News employee. I have no illusions of what NBC News will do when faced with the greatest ethical crisis of our times. What about our NBC money? Won't somebody think about our NBC money? But I must confess, I am still stupid enough to have believed that when this broke, that somebody, somebody at NBC, like Lester, who who I always thought wanted to be an ethical person, or somebody at, what's the name of the other place? MSNBC? Somebody there like Chris Hayes, or Lawrence O'Donnell, or even Maddow, would stand up and say, nope, I'm out. Rumble. That's it. I mean, when they suspended me, they asked Chris Hayes to fill in for me, and he wasn't even getting a salary from NBC, and he wouldn't do it. It's called ethics. 
Available for purchase. I mean, Rachel Maddow, for F's sake, I got you the damn job in 2008, and every dollar you have made since then, you have earned. I knocked down the door, and I'll tell everybody that till the day I die, and everything thereafter was entirely your doing. But how much is it now? When I got to like 40, 50 million from them, I said, enough. You, You want to abuse me? and slander me and force me to have Republicans on for balance, I'm gone. Where are you now, Rachel? What is it, a million or so the first few years, then about nine million a year? Now it's 31 million a year? That's what, 150 million? Too high, 125 million? Too low, closer to 200? At what point do you realize that by sitting there, shilling for the same company, that just did a deal with the platformers of Charlie Kirk and Nick Fuentes and Andrew freaking Tate. You become Charlie Kirk and Nick Fuentes and Andrew freaking Tate. It's now Rumble, Charlie Kirk, Nick Fuentes, Andrew freaking Tate, Rachel Maddow, Joe Scarborough. When it is mixed in there with that scum, how much money does it cost you to buy your soul back? For God's sake, Rachel, say something. Your voice still matters. Then again, I'm assuming here, aren't I? I'm assuming... It's still your voice. Also of interest here, I am the last person to complain about a national anthem at a sporting event. I don't think they should have the national anthem at sporting events. That's why they almost never televise the national anthem at sporting events. But if you're going to do it, if you're going to televise it in the United States and Canada, can you at least get somebody who knows the words? Or at least when she does not know the words, she replaces them with actual other words and not just gibberish. And, uh, and oh yeah, before the break, one, one last uh, gag order joke, if you'll permit me. Do you know what the sound of a gag order is? You ready? That's next. This is Countdown. This is Countdown with Keith Olbermann. This is SportsCenter. Wait, check that. Not anymore. This is Countdown with Keith Olbermann. In sports, the San Francisco Giants may have actually scheduled an interview with coaching assistant Alyssa Nacken for their vacant managerial position. That obviously would be a first in sports history, major men's sports history anyway. But the Miami Marlins have stepped into the breach to make sure sports took two or maybe three steps back. The Marlins are a dead-in-the-water waste of public funds and National League franchise, which has since its first season exceeded an attendance of two million fans in only two seasons. 
But new general manager Kim Eng put together a team that somehow made the playoffs this year. And when it came time for the Marlins to pick up her mutual option for the 2024 baseball season, they said, we can't wait. You've been terrific. And oh, by the way, we're going to hire a new president of baseball operations to be your boss. Seriously. To her credit, she declined her part of the mutual option, and Kim Ang is now a free agent, and once again, it's time to reclaim this pointless Marlins franchise from its latest pointless owner, a man named Bruce Sherman. Now from hockey, and there's no way else to put this, it is the worst edition of the national anthem of the United States of America of all time. Not the funniest worst, not like the guy in Vancouver who used to sing the Canadian anthem while skating around the rink, and then he skated onto the red carpet, and he went flying while still trying to sing. Not the stupidest worst, like Carl Lewis forgetting the key and then forgetting the words to the American anthem, but promising that he'd win the audience back and starting all over again. This is Janique Fournier before the Montreal Canadiens Chicago Blackhawks game at Montreal. Now, look, this is a tough song. I would never try to sing this song out loud by myself in public. Never. If you want to tell me it's a bad song and its composer had a bad history, and the lyrics are clunky? Go ahead. If you also want to mention in Ms. Fournier's defense that she won Canada's Got Talent, and she's a palliative care nurse and evidently a great person, all of which is true. But it's still clear she does not know the words to the United States of America's national anthem, which is fine. She's from Canada, but she's singing it in public, and it's on television in the United States nationally. And it's clear she's only learned it phonetically. And she didn't even learn it well phonetically. Please rise and move your hands and caps for the singing of the national anthems by Jenny Fournier. Oh, say can you see by the tabberly light while some friends like she heard every bad rendition of the anthem ever sung at an American sporting event and said, to this I aspire. I think I heard her sing, oh, say can you see by the dab early not. What's a dab? 
Twilight's last creaming? And of course, the big finish, Davar Glaff was still there. Excuse me, I have to go watch the video of that Vancouver singer tripping over the red carpet again, just to restore my faith in mankind. Still ahead on Countdown, thinking of restoring one's faith in mankind, anybody heard lately from Brian Williams? The day one of the most remarkable self-destructions in journalistic history began at, coincidentally, a hockey game at New York's Madison Square Garden. I was in the crowd, and boy, was I surprised. I thought I needed to go see a neurologist. That level of surprised. Things I promise not to tell coming up. First time for the Daily Roundup with the miscreants, morons, and Dunning-Kruger effect specimens who constitute today's worst persons in the world. The bronze Lisa Desjardins, PBS NewsHour correspondent based in a bubble somewhere. Formerly Associated Press, formerly CNN Radio, formerly Medill School of Journalism at Northwestern, claims to have covered like seven U.S. presidential elections. And one of the political media industrial complex reporters I have warned you about time and time again, ad nauseum, who cannot process something that does not fit into one of the dozen or so templates of things that always happen in Washington. If it's not fitting the cliche, they don't know what to do with it. Wow, she tweeted. First off, wow. House Dem number two just called Jim Jordan an insurrectionist twice, saying he fought a J6 subpoena and pointedly fueled 2020 doubts is one thing, but man, saying he wanted to overthrow the government? Asking what specific evidence and logic they have for this. After they pulled Ms. Desjardins' career out from the 10-ton pile of criticism that fell upon it, she tried to backtrack and say she was only questioning what parts of the January 6th evidence Democrats say implicate Jordan, but but no, she, she's not. Quote, being involved in a conspiracy is a serious charge and one we should talk about, but it is not the same as being an insurrectionist. These are the people who are covering the threats against representative government in this country. No wonder it's under threat and appears to be losing. PBS needs to remove her from their newscast, like, immediately. Oh, and wait till somebody tells her about Jim Jordan and the wrestlers. The runners-up, Turning Point USA, that is the crowd led by Balloonhead, the evil version of Charlie Brown, Charlie Kirk. The president of Arizona State University has sent a searing letter to faculty warning them that Charlie Kirk's thugs have been seen operating on campus and, quote, followed harassed, pushed, and injured a university English professor as he went from his class to his car. As University President Michael Crow put it, a list of professors promulgated by Kirk's gang, quote, has resulted in anti-Semitic, anti-LGBTQ+, and misogynistic attacks on ASU faculty with whom Turning Point USA and its followers disagree. Why did Kirk's brown shirts push the instructor to the ground? because he co-founded a group called Drag Story Hour. 
Fascism is alive and well on America's campuses, and we had better pull it out by its roots immediately. But our winner, Lauren Boebert, the Colorado representative who is representative of another prong of fascism in this country. I won't talk about her roots for the moment. We are at a point where the staid corporate media like Politico can write of her and her date at the live musical version of Beetlejuice, quote, Bobert and Quinn Gallagher were caught on camera fondling one another amid a crowd that included families with children. That's in Politico. Fondling. Congresswoman fondling. And by the way, that's the highlight of her accomplishments while in office. Fondling a guy. You may recall that after she denied anything untoward had happened, and then the video from security became public of her, uh, checking his reaction to the musical. Bobert said it was their first date and she would not be seeing him again because she just found out he was a Democrat. Uh, maybe not. Her campaign finance reports indicate that late in July, Bobert spent $317.48 on, quote, catering at the Hooch Craft Cocktail Bar in Aspen, Colorado, which is co-owned by Quinn Gallagher. Meeting with donors, said her campaign manager, is a standard campaign procedure. What, uh, what, what exactly was, was Mr. Gallagher donating? Lauren, other than that, Mrs. Bobert, how did you enjoy the play? Today's worst person in the world! That's not my ticket! Now to the number one story on the countdown and my favorite topic, me, and the day I tried to save Brian Williams. And the anniversary of the day I found out why NBC did not fire Brian Williams. The seventh anniversary was over the weekend. But first we start on Thursday, January 29th, 2015, after I finished my late afternoon sportscast on ESPN2. I walked the 10 blocks to New York's Madison Square Garden to see the New York Rangers-Montreal Canadiens hockey game, and within two hours, not only was I convinced I had a profound brain injury or illness, but a catastrophe would occur so all-encompassing in its sweep that it would end the then very active negotiations to, what else, put countdown back on MSNBC. Also, the Rangers got shut out one nothing. I went to the game with Bill Wolf, a former ESPN colleague from 20 years earlier, whom I had met again at MSNBC and who was, in fact, the first executive producer of The Rachel Maddow Show. We had not seen each other in a while, and he had just left that job, and so, as the skilled youth of many nations cavorted below us, threatening each other with sticks and razor-sharp skates, we caught up on things. And that's when it happened. At least once per period in a National Hockey League game, an ordinary stoppage of play is turned into a lengthy delay during which the television broadcasters catch up on any unplayed commercials. The TV timeout. And during one of these TV timeouts, the public address announcer at the Garden, Joe Tolleson, said, Ladies and gentlemen, please direct your attention to the video screen at Center Ice, where the anchor and managing editor of NBC Nightly News, Brian Williams, will... I didn't actually hear the next part 
At hearing Brian's name, my friend Bill Wolf shouted, F me! And I let out a low groan. Since 1997, I have done my absolute best to like Brian Williams. I have stuck my neck out for Brian Williams. I have advocated for Brian Williams. I have forgiven Brian Williams. And none of it has been enough. No person in my 43 years as a full-time professional broadcaster has been as insecure nor as mocked behind his back as has Brian. It is too bad. He is brilliantly talented. And this will never be enough for him. He is one of those who can only be successful if he has convinced himself he has taken away some of the success from those around him. I've been accused of many, many things, but never that. In the 90s, Brian Williams used to appear in the middle of my MSNBC show with a promo for his MSNBC show, which followed mine. One night I said that in five minutes we'd be previewing President Clinton's itinerary in Africa, Nairobi, Addis Ababa, Dar es Salaam, Johannesburg. But first, with a preview of the news with Brian Williams, here's Brian Williams. Brian Williams? And he said, thanks, Keith. As someone who's actually been to those places all the time with this. Anyway, when Wolf and I came out of our respective rages, we heard this over the Garden PA system. During the Iraq invasion, U.S. Army Command Sergeant Major Tim Turpak was responsible for the safety of Brian Williams and his NBC News team after their Chinook helicopter was hit and crippled by enemy fire. I began to sweat. Command Sergeant Major Turpak was awarded three bronze stars for combat valor in Iraq and recently retired after 23 years in the U.S. Army. Both men, both Rangers fans, have been reunited for the first time in 12 years for tonight's game. Please welcome Command Sergeant Major Tim Turpak and Brian Williams. Bill Wolf swore again. My reaction was different. I started to get lightheaded and then immediately very, very worried. Bill, I said in a voice so low that Bill had to lean in to hear me, do you know a good neurologist? Bill laughed. For Brian, it wasn't a pleasant laugh. He won't go to a neurologist, good or otherwise, unless he can get videotape of it and put it on the effing screen here at Madison Square Garden. And I said, no, no, that's, that's not what I, what I mean. I mean. I mean one for me. I... I I was anchoring on MSNBC the, the night, the Brian Williams story about the, the helicopters and the, and the RPG in Iraq. I went on to tell Bill that that's all I did my first month back at MSNBC in 2003. They rehired me only because they did not have enough anchors to cover a war. And I was on that night. And that story about Brian's chopper getting hit, that's not the way I remember it, Bill. My brain is going... I remember a different story, and I mean, I don't even remember leading the show with it. My God, if the heir apparent as the anchor of NBC Nightly News was shot down over the desert in the middle of the Iraq War, we would have left with, led with it. I don't remember leading with it. I'm only 56. I'm way too young for dementia. It must be a tumor or something. Do you know a good neurologist, Bill? Bill Wolf was, as usual, pretty cool under the circumstances, and he said, I think maybe you should relax because I don't think it's you. I think it's him. Because I remember that story too, Bill said, and that's not the way he told it in 2003. I think Brian has changed the story. When I got home after the Rangers lost that night, I looked up everything I could about March 26, 2003, and the fact 
that Brian Williams was an NBC News field reporter embedded with troops in Iraq and in the helicopters with them, and that this was not some sort of PR stunt. We had another prominent anchor named David Bloom, who hosted the Today Show on the weekends and had succeeded Brian as our NBC White House correspondent, and David Bloom had died in Iraq because after weeks of twisting himself into the shape of a pretzel to fit inside a tank, he suffered deep vein thrombosis and he was dead because they couldn't treat him in time. I even found a video cassette with the hours I anchored on MSNBC on March 26, 2003, and I saw Brian's report and I heard him say that he and an NBC analyst Retired General Wayne Downing had been on the ground preparing to take off as part of the last helicopters in a convoy flying over an Iraqi desert when they got word that a chopper an hour ahead of them had been threatened by gunfire and was then forced to make an emergency landing because of a sandstorm. I remember thinking then in 2003 then in 2015 and now in 2022 that being in the helicopter when they are shooting at the helicopters, is an act of sufficient bravery that you could brag on yourself forever. I would have been bragging thusly. Hey, I'm a civilian. I went up in the chopper anyway, and I did not crap my pants. The end. I would have been stopping passersby to tell them that. As I continued to research this, I realized that in the ensuing dozen years, Brian Williams had slowly changed the story almost imperceptibly, almost every time he had retold it. Soon, the chopper was hit by the RPG that actually missed it. Then, the chopper that was hit was not an hour ahead of them. It was the one right in front of them. Soon, they were all part of the group that could claim, quote, we were the northernmost Americans in Iraq. And by 2013, Brian was claiming it was his chopper that got hit. In real time, the next day, Friday, January 30th, 2015, we found out why Brian had done the thing at the hockey game with Command Sergeant Major Turpak. He played a clip of it on NBC Nightly News. And that is when a lot of Iraq vets began to speak up with memories that agreed with Brian on one detail only. Yeah, it happened in Iraq. I saw the clip from the Rangers game. And I saw the train rack coming up behind it for Brian and for NBC News, and I started emailing my remaining friends at NBC. Get him drunk, I wrote to one executive. Then take him into his office and scatter empty liquor bottles all around and call in photographers from the New York Post, the New York Daily News, and then explain he's going to rehab. You don't have to say anything else. Rehab is the get-out-of-jail-free card. He comes back in a month, and they'll throw a freaking parade for him. To a former boss still at NBC, I sent this email. Put him on tonight, and at the start of Nightly, have him say this. I'm taking a voluntary leave of absence for fill-in-the-blank days, and during that time, the entirety of my salary will be donated to fill-in-the-blank with any military charity, because while I did not intend to exaggerate my experience in Iraq in 2003... Being hit by small arms fire is bad enough. Being behind the helicopter that got hit with an RPG is worse. Nevertheless, I did exaggerate it. And a newsman cannot make a mistake like that without consequences. Thank you for your forbearance. Now for the rest of tonight's newscast, here is fill in the name of NBC employee number whatever. I added a postscript to my old boss. Do this and he could still swerve out of this. But... 
Everybody in management at NBC News was asleep at the switch during this crisis. They're in action by News President Deborah Turnus, who now runs BBC, apparently, did not bring the Williams catastrophe to the attention of Comcast News Chief Pat Philly, and that would eventually cost both of them their jobs. Since I was, at that exact moment, negotiating directly with Pat Philly to put Countdown back on MSNBC, that also went down over the desert. Philly's successor was Andy Lack. He resumed the countdown negotiations with me at the Essex House the following fall. That was in New York on October 29th, 2015, just past the anniversary of that. Lack was moaning to me about Brian, whom he said he was ready to resign outright and was willing to go without much of a stink and without demanding much of a settlement. But it was Brian's wife, Lack said, who pointed out that there was a termination clause which was written by the self-same Andy Lack the previous time Andy Lack ran NBC News that meant if Brian were fired for cause, he would be owed twice whatever salary was left on his contract. His wife, Lack said, is a goddamn Pat Nixon in this. So instead of firing him and owing him twice as much money for some reason, nice contract, Lack, Lack reassigned Brian to cover any breaking news during the Little Watch daytime hours of MSNBC and then eventually gave him his own show there at 11 p.m. The punchline, of course, is that back in February of 2015, when it turned out Brian had lied about Iraq and also maybe lied about seeing a dead body float past him during Hurricane Katrina in New Orleans and about being mugged while selling Christmas trees when he was in high school, and about saving a puppy when he was a volunteer firefighter, I felt dreadful for him. I thought this might be fixable. And you know who else felt it might be fixable and felt dreadful for him? Our mutual friend, David Letterman. And I was going on Dave's show, and I said to Dave, listen, I think Brian's career should not end because of this. He just needs help. He's a compulsive exaggerator. If you want to give me the opening to say that while I'm on with you, just do it. If, if you don't, don't. I won't bring it up myself. Dave is a very loyal man. And Dave gave me the opening. And then after I defended Brian, he joined me. And at that point, we were literally the only two people working in television to speak out for Brian. Not only was it six weeks before Brian as much as sent me an email of thanks, but David told me, he never heard from Brian, and I haven't heard from Brian since 2015. And there is another punchline. As I came off the Letterman stage that night that he and I both defended Brian Williams, a producer took me aside and said it was a nice thing to do, but was I sure I wanted to get involved in this? And I shrugged my shoulders and I said, who knows? Why do you ask? And he said, because one night when Brian was coming on the Letterman show, it was the anniversary of the Iraq helicopter story, and in the pre-interview, Brian explained to this producer that when they got hit by the RPG, which didn't happen, this command sergeant Major Turpak had been injured, which didn't happen, and when they landed on the desert floor, which didn't happen, Brian treated Turpak's injury and dressed Turpak's wound himself. But then Brian said, Maybe I should keep that between us. I guess we were lucky Brian Williams never claimed that he saved the helicopter crew by catching the missile with his teeth. 
done all the damage I can do here. Thank you for listening. Countdown has come to you from the Vin Scully studio at the Elderman Broadcasting Empire. High atop the sports capsule building in New York. The music you heard was, for the most part, arranged, produced, and performed by Countdown musical directors Brian Ray and John Philip Chanel. Brian Ray handled the guitars, bass, and drums. John Philip Chanel did the orchestration and keyboards. Produced by TKO Brothers. Other music, including other Beethoven tunes, were arranged and performed by the group No Horns Allowed. The sports music is courtesy of ESPN Inc., and it was written by Mitch Warren Davis. We call it the Olderman theme from ESPN2. Our satirical and pithy musical comments are from Nancy Faust, the best baseball stadium organist ever. Our announcer today was my friend Richard Lewis. Everything else is pretty much my fault except the national anthem. Let's count down for this, the 1015th day since Donald Trump's first attempted coup against the democratically elected government of the United States. Convict him now while we still can. The next scheduled countdown is tomorrow. Bulletins as the news warrants. Till then, I'm Keith Olbermann. Good morning, good afternoon, good night, and good luck. Oh, say can you see by the tabberly light. Countdown with Keith Olbermann is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Zumo Play is your destination for endless entertainment. With a diverse lineup of 350-plus live channels, movies, and full TV series, you'll easily find something to watch right away. And the best part? It's all free. Love music? Get lost in the 90s with iHeart 90s. Dance away with hip-hop beats and more on the iHeart Radio music channels. No logins, no signups, no accounts, no hassle. So what are you waiting for? Start streaming at play.xumo.com or download from the app and Google Play stores today. All you can stream with Zumo Play. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote.